things. That's how government's supposed to work. We're not supposed to get in the way of the will of the people. We're supposed to enable it and embolden it. Welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. A couple of weeks ago, we did a podcast on the continuing democratic success of the state of Michigan, how a voter-led constitutional amendment led to fair redistricting, how the election of a democratic governor, AG, and secretary of state further shored up Michigan's democracy, and how, after years of Republican gerrymandering and dismissal, the public's voice was finally being heard. In the 2022 midterms, Democrats were able to win a trifecta, which means they now control both houses of the state legislature as well as the governorship, something Democrats haven't had in Michigan for 40 years. Michigan has become, in many ways, the shining example of what it looks like when democracy actually works, when the people are respected and their will is reflected in their laws. So today we're going to talk to Jocelyn Benson, Michigan's superstar secretary of state, who's responsible for the safety and security of the elections in Michigan and has been very clear that despite the fact she's a Democrat, she is fighting to protect the voting rights of all Michigan voters, whether they're Republican, Democrat or independents. And it's an undeniable fact that since she has been in office, she has drastically improved operations of her office, as well as overseeing the highest turnout, most secure election in Michigan's history. A graduate of Wellesley College, Harvard Law, and Oxford University, Jocelyn is an expert on laws covering civil rights, education, and elections. At age 36, she became the youngest woman in U.S. history to lead a top 100 accredited law school. She was a CEO of Ross Initiative in Sports for Equality, or RISE, a national nonprofit that uses the power of sports to improve race relations. She was the co-founder of Military Spouses of Michigan, a network dedicated to providing support and services to military spouses and their children. And she was the youngest woman in history to be inducted into the Michigan Women's Hall of Fame. Benson has been in office since 2018, and since then she has dramatically improved both her state and the state of our democracy. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, the 2022 Profiles in Courage and the Defender of Democracy Award winner, current Michigan Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson. Welcome, Jocelyn. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all that you do to inspire and engage and educate and help us all figure out how to navigate through this messy world and moment to make a difference. Yeah, right. That's what we all want to do. We just want to make a difference. I want to thank you for being here. I mean, I was just saying the other day that going through all the things you've done, I've developed such a brain crush on you, right? Like I just, <laughs> you're such an incredible asset to democracy, which is probably why you're out here winning all these awards, but I honestly couldn't be more grateful that you're doing the work. So thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. I mean, yeah, the telling someone today, the recognition is, is validating and gratifying, but, but it's really about just keeping the, the reality front and center of this work that is ahead of us and inspiring others to get involved because we all have and must play a role in protecting and defending our democracy. That's the only reason we have it because others have done that. And so we have to do our part. It's going to stay in place in our country and we're going to be the country based on the ideals we were founded on. Uh, and so I, re I appreciate a great deal, the validation that comes with that national recognition, but it's more important that others see that as an opportunity to do the same work because that's how we actually do achieve our goal of having a healthy democracy. Well, you wrote a book called 
state secretaries of state, guardians of the democratic process, which was the first major book on the role of the state secretaries of state in enforcing election campaign finance laws. And the book was published in 2010, which was almost a decade before you actually became secretary of state. What made you want to write it? And why do you think that secretaries of state play such a defining role in protecting democracy? Well, secretaries of state are certainly in the spotlight now, but have always played a role in ensuring the basic mechanics of elections happen, whether it's registering people to vote, getting them their ballot, making sure whether they vote in person or at home, that those ballots are returned on time and counted. The mechanics of running elections, which ultimately determines our ability to impact and use our power to influence those who lead us all comes down to who is actually the referee operating the mechanics of the process. And I was really struck after the 2000 election, where we saw a Secretary of State, this is 23 years ago, but Catherine Harris in Florida, appointed by then Gover Governor Jeb Bush, she made decisions like blocking a full recount of every vote in Florida in the 2000 presidential election that arguably changed the course of American history, and certainly that presidential election. So that said, I was really struck by the fact not only that you can see what happens when things go wrong, when someone occupies these critical roles and they don't make decisions through a lens of what's best for the voters, but we as voters in nearly every state have the power to choose who runs our elections. And we as voters weren't really leveraging that power to elect secretaries of state on either side of the aisle who were really beholden to the basic principles of democracy as opposed to the principles of a particular political agenda. Beholden to the particular principles of democracy, that's it, right? I mean, the role of the secretary of state is obviously a traditionally overlooked and unappreciated role. But I think we're starting to see as a country how important the role is. Like you said, people are starting to pay attention a little bit more. I mean, we look at someone like Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, and he's the one who called the state for Biden over Trump and who Trump basically tried to shake down for 11,780 votes. And now don't get me wrong, I don't think Brad Raffensperger is some hero to democracy. The man loves a good voter suppression. But in the Trump case, he really did do the right thing. He followed the letter of the law and the Constitution. But I think that the public can see now what an important role the Secretary of State is to the health of democracy and what can happen if you have the wrong person in the job. I mean, in the midterms, we saw the Secretary of State race in Arizona, which is a swing state, go to the Democrat Adrian Fontes, rather than the MAGA Republican and prominent election denier Mark Fincham. So Fincham, who also happens to be an oath keeper, was so vocal that Arizona Electoral College votes should have gone to Trump despite there being no evidence that Trump won that state, right? And this was the man that was almost in charge of Arizona elections, right? So we have to be really serious about who's running for these roles, who's winning these roles, and what they actually stand for, right? Because you can't have people in charge of elections who don't believe in the results of elections, right? Fincham, right. just like Carrie Lake, contested his own race. He was like, I won. And he was just sanctioned by an Arizona judge who called his lawsuit groundless and that it wasn't brought in good faith, right? We see this all the time now. And I think we have to be really serious about where we're at and who's running for these roles and who wants to be, like you said, the referee overseeing the game. And recognize our power as citizens to choose who they are, that we abdicate if we don't pay attention to these roles. That's why I wrote the book in 2010 to tell the story of what secretaries of state actually do. And there's a lot that we do from soup to nuts when it comes to overseeing the democratic process and guarding 
the democratic process. And you don't want someone in this role who's not only not going to guard the democratic process, but doesn't believe in it. And that's what we see happening. We see these these roles being strategically utilized and, and leveraged by anti-democracy forces to try to undo democracy from within. And our battle's not over yet. I mean, yes, in 2022, MAGA Republicans and individuals who don't believe in democracy were defeated in Arizona, in Nevada, here in Michigan. But in Michigan, you know, my opponent is now the head of the Republican Party in our state. And in other states, there are secretaries who have been elected on a platform of Kari Lake and pro-Trump and all of that. So we have to be very vigilant as we go into the 2024 election cycle to know the importance of having people in these positions and across the board who are going to defend the vote and guard the process, regardless of what the outcome might be. Right. I mean, Donald Trump is still out here claiming he didn't lose in 2020, right? He's raising money and running on the idea that the system is rigged. And then we have state legislatures considering bills to restrict voting based on that lie, right? And that's the thing. We can't function in a country that doesn't trust its institutions or its elections or its justice. And the party of Trump has put a lot of work into upending our faith in those things. You know, going back to the election that launched your book, Gore had an I would say, an absolute case to contest that presidential election. But he didn't for what I assume is the good of the country and our faith in the American system. It's hard to not wonder now, now that we know what we do, if he should have contested it, right? But what Mm -hmm. do you say to the people who feel like they might not, you know, they no longer really trust the system. They're not sure if they should be trusting the American democratic system. What do you say to people who are feeling like that? Well, first, that they should follow the facts and the evidence. I mean, the vast majority of elections in this country, including in Michigan and in every battleground state, are conducted with paper ballots. So there is a paper record of who voted and a paper record validating that those ballots were actually submitted by real eligible voters. And yet you have individuals casting aspersions and conspiracy theories that are not rooted in facts or data or truth. That's why they've been rejected by the courts. They're actually just rooted in sort of fear-based ideology. And it harms our system, but it's not based in anything that is able to be proven or factual. And so what I would say and encourage people to do is, is simply just look to the facts. And we have established a page SOS fact check in Michigan for people to submit their questions and conspiracy theories. And we're happy to provide evidence to debunk them where necessary. And then the flip side of that is where there is actual evidence of wrongdoing, where there is evidence of of, uh, an election result uh, being inaccurate, then we absolutely do have to take that seriously, regardless of who it helps or hurts. And we do. But at the same time, we know the abundance of evidence underscores in Michigan and elsewhere in 2020, the election was indeed accurate. And we did over 250 audits in the local level and at the state level, confirming that those paper ballots were each and every case cast by eligible voters and that the results of the of the election was indeed a reflection of the will of the voters. So when we get there, when we get to those facts, we prove that evidence, that's when candidates should step back and, ex- and concede. That's not what happened here. Despite all the evidence consistently pointing in the other direction, politicians have found a way like Trump to keep this lie out there. And that's where it crosses the line. Absolutely. Because you can lie to the people and you can lie on TV, but you can't lie in the courts, which is why they yeah. keep losing. Exactly. 
Uh, and we need to be able to express that to people who are still believing what they hear rather than what the courts are telling us. You wrote in Newsweek that upholding democracy is not some passive venture, that it doesn't happen by accident. It takes concentrated effort and eternal vigilance. So we need to be aware of all these tactics that are being used so states and counties can stop them from happening. And we can insist our leaders do everything they can to strengthen rather than weaken the systems for future elections. But what can we do to help that process along? Because I sometimes think people feel helpless in the wake of what feels like corruption that's happening all around us. One, we have to recognize we all have power, even in these uncertain times, to, to stay engaged and choose how we will fight back and choose how we will respond to these uncertainties with courage and strength and determination to define our country from a place of democracy as opposed to allowing the forces of autocracy to take hold. And Michigan is a great case study of what actually happens when citizens say, not anymore, not today, because after the 2016 presidential election in our state, where Donald Trump not just won the presidency, but he won Michigan by just around 10,000 votes. Citizens, young uh, leaders actually just posted on social media, we got to change this, and banded together to create a grassroots effort, effort that ultimately amended our state constitution to do away with gerrymandering and put citizens in charge of drawing our legislative and congressional district and implement a whole collection of pro-voter policies, election day registration, no reason absentee voting, ultimately early voting, uh, that has transformed our democracy in our state, all because citizens said, we are gonna take power back and, and ensure our democracy reflects our vision, our values, not those of a political elite. Yeah. And if people want to know more about what Jocelyn's talking about, we did do an episode about a month ago on Michigan that really explained how they were able to get that amendment on the ballot, how people were working from the grassroots up, how it was a citizen-led effort, and how we can do that in other states if we are so inclined. I mean, I think you've gone out of your way, or at least above and beyond, to make sure the people of Michigan know their votes count and will be counted. Because uh, I'm just going to give some some things that you've done. You mentioned a couple of them earlier. As soon as you were elected in 2018, you started to improve elections in Michigan by modernizing voting registration, recruiting tens of thousands of new election workers, securing drop boxes around the state. You did things like making it easier to register to vote, authorizing online voter registration, implementing automatic voter registration for all eligible citizens, and making sure, like you said, you could register right up to and including election day. And this made a really big difference in the turnout, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've now seen back to back the two highest turnout elections in our state history and with more people voting in 2000 than in 2020 than ever before. And in 2022, seeing our highest midterm turnout in any election and Michigan leads the country in youth vote turnout. Yes, we do. In Michigan than anywhere else in the country, all directly related to these pro voter policies that simply just make voting more secure and accessible to all. So I'm honored to be the chief election officer in a state that is transforming how we uh, embrace these democratic principles. And in a time when democracy is very much under attack, we are showing that if you enable everyone to vote, you can then elect leaders who will, like is happening in our legislature right now, protect our, our students in schools with uh, gun safety restrictions that will protect 
our students and others against gun violence that will expand investment in public education and and protect workers on the job. So it translates into real pro-voter, pro-people policy when more people are able to participate. And that's really what our, our country is supposed to be about and what we stand for as elected officials who believe in the power of the people and the power of the vote. Yeah, because if more people can vote and then their government reflects what they actually want and then gets those things actually accomplished, then people see the power of their vote, right? So then it goes back around and you have more people voting because they see the government actually does what they asked it to do. It's all about getting people engaged. I mean, tell me about this new generation of poll workers, which was so incredibly successful. You got like 30,000 new workers throughout your state. What can we learn from you to inspire more people to get involved in other states? Well, I often say democracy is a team sport. We all have to play a role in in this team to ensure that every vote is counted and every voice is heard. And so to recruit poll workers, we built relationships with sports leaders, uh, who have so much time and treasure and talent that they can lend to improving democracy. So we had football players or professional athletes actually serving as election workers and then recruiting others to do the same. We partnered with LeBron James through his more than a vote effort to also reach young people and others who were uh, interested in in doing more than just registering voters. They wanted to be a part of the process. We went to colleges, we went to employers and teachers and labor organizations, all combined to recruit everyone to be a part of defending democracy in this moment. And it was successful. And you know, we step back and look at some of the darkness we've seen over the last several years. I saw that personally when people showed up outside my home in, in the dark of night in December of 2020, armed, trying to get me to not certify the 2020 election results. The flip side of that is also what we've really seen in Michigan, which is an enormous energy devoted to protecting and defending the process and protecting voters from intimidation, protecting poll workers from threats and harassment. And so I'm really inspired by the fact that democracy is getting stronger, even in this challenging time, but it's getting stronger because people who aren't political, but are from all walks of life, are recognizing the role they must play to ensure democracy survives this challenging time and, and emerges from it more healthier and robust than ever before. Absolutely. I mean, you've been incredibly clear that we need to get really serious about protecting the right to vote around the country. And you've pointed out that every state in America, for example, has the technology to allow voters to register safely and securely online any day of the year, including Election Day. And you've pointed out that same day registration increases voter turnout by about 7% with no discernible advantage to either political party. So that we should be doing that right across the country in all 50 states. These feel like great ideas and something that everyone should be pushing for in their states. What else do you think we should be doing to modernize the voting registration or the voting system? Well, I think first it's important to look at the fact that a lot of the the policies we want to undo or modernize, like this draconian requirement that you need to register to vote 30 days prior to an election day, uh, or that you have to vote only in person in your neighborhood precinct and and you can't vote from home. All of those were really rooted in a Jim Crow era after the Civil War and were, along with poll taxes and literacy tests and other policies, designed to make it harder for African-Americans to vote in particular and overall restrict access to the process. 
So it starts from sort of unpacking that history, which is critical to know. I, I started my career in Alabama. So I, I, working in Selma and Montgomery was really rooted in this sense of, of where we came from and how we still take a responsibility today to undo those old policies by instituting new ones. And there are new ones like, you know, you shouldn't have to wait uh, to register. You should be able to register on election day itself. Uh, you should be able to register online. You should be automatically registered to vote if you're eligible to vote in a state once you get your driver's license or ID. And we do that here in Michigan, and that's added a quarter of a million new voters to our rolls. And then it should be easier to actually get your ballot. In many states, people are mailed a ballot automatically. In Michigan, you can now sign up to be a permanent at-home voter and get your ballot mailed to you before every election. It's another convenient way of getting your ballot. And then we have to make convenient ways of returning ballots through vote centers or secure drop boxes and always have the option for people to vote in person if that's what they so choose to do. To me, it all gets about, it's all about government meeting people where they are. And especially when it comes to voting, bringing voting as close to where people already are in their homes, when they're getting their IDs and the like, where they're already going and make sure they have access to the tools they need to cast their ballots and be heard. And then, of course, also making sure people have access to accurate information about not just voting, but what's on the ballot. Because yeah. I've talked to many non-voters and they choose not to vote because they don't feel they know enough about what's on the ballot or, or you know, they want to weigh in. So we have a responsibility as well to ensure citizens in this era of misinformation can get access to accurate, trustworthy information about how to vote and and information about what's on the ballot. And frankly, that's why the work that you do is so important, because it's all about educating and engaging and giving people access to information so that they can access their own power and participate from an informed standpoint in our process. Yeah. I mean, people are deeply busy. The system has become complicated on purpose, I think. And it checks a lot of people out. And we have to find ways to engage people and bring them back into the process because this is their country and their vote is their voice. So they need to be able to exercise it if they want to. I mean, I think these actions you took is why Michigan shattered all previous turnout records during the pandemic, no less, when you had five and a half million Michigan voters cast a ballot in 2020. And then you shattered records again in the midterms in 2022. And in many ways, I think this was only possible because you implemented these voter-approved constitutional guarantee that allows every citizen the option to vote from home, especially during a pandemic. But also you're listening to what the voters want. It's it's how it comes down. Like I love that so much as what's happening in your state is citizen-led or voter-approved. I was saying in the Michigan episode that in contrast to so many of these red states that are doubling down on top-down government control, your state is really listening to the people and reflecting what they want. Right, exactly, which is our jobs as public servants. That's how government's supposed to work. We're not supposed to get in the way of the will of the people. We're supposed to enable it and embolden it. Uh, and that's why, to me, these Secretary of State roles are so important, because that's what I do every day. Every day I wake up trying to figure out how to make government work better and also how to make it more accessible so that people and citizens know their role as part of this process and if we do that, if we have more leaders doing that, and if voters elect leaders like that, uh, as they have abundantly done when given the opportunity to do so, then we can truly transform our democracy to ensure our government is actually making policies and decisions that reflect our will, reflect the values of all, instead of decisions like you're seeing coming out of the U.S. Supreme Court or out of Florida 
where which actually don't align with where people are and what they want their government leaders to do. It all roots back to, are we going to use our power as citizens to have our voices heard and engage in a process that ensures that we maintain the power over those who are elected to serve? Let's take a quick break from talking to our incredible guest, Jocelyn, to talk about our amazing sponsor, Dave. Dave is a banking app that has no interest, no late fees, and no credit check. A lot of us are living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet. And Dave understands that can be incredibly stressful, especially when an unexpected expense comes up. Dave has created an app where you can get your money sooner, so you don't have to worry about having enough money to make it to the end of the week. When you get in a pinch, Dave will help you out with something called extra cash and give you the financial relief you need. As they say, think of it as getting a helping hand from a future you. To try it out, download the Dave app from the App Store or go to dave.com slash politicsgirl. That's D-A-V-E dot com slash politicsgirl and sign up for an extra cash account to get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve Bank and Trust, member of the FDIC. I'm back talking about Athletic Greens because it's just that good. My husband had surgery on his foot this year, a total reconstruction, and his entire schedule for working out and staying fit got off track. Recently, he picked back up with AG1 that he'd let slide during his recovery. He was like, I just don't have enough energy to make it through the day. I feel awful. So unlike me, who likes taking AG1 first thing in the morning, Sean has added it back into his routine at around three to keep him going for the rest of the day. And he is feeling better already. Our family started AG1 almost two years ago because we liked the idea of better gut health and more energy, but we couldn't get over the difference in how we felt. AG1 is a simple daily habit. It's just one scoop of powder in water every day. AG1 makes it easy to take the highest quality supplements and it replaces things like a multivitamin, minerals, pre and probiotics with just one scoop of powder. In fact, that one scoop covers your entire day's nutritional basis with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. If you're looking for a simple cost-effective supplement routine, then you should really give AG1 a try. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving you one free year of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. That's athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. Check it out. We wouldn't keep going back to it if it didn't make us feel better. I mean, look at the Texas House right now, just passing a bill that would abolish the election administrator in Harris County, which is the state's most populous county, and strip the county of the ability to choose how they run their elections, right? That's a right given to every other county in the state, but not to Harris County. And they also approved a bill allowing the state to order new elections in Harris County and only Harris County, which will yeah. basically allow them to choose the winner in that state. Is I mean... What do we do about that kind of situation? I mean, it just feels so disheartening. Yeah. In 2020, Harris County did more than any other county in Texas to actually engage voters. Right. And enable them to vote under Chris Hollins, who is a really incredible local election administrator who did amazing things. And so this isn't just happening. It's happening in direct response to voter engagement and voter empowerment. And that's what we have to really see a lot of, and, and also, frankly, the diminishment of the Federal Voting Rights Act, which is in past years, when it was at its strongest, would have immediately been leveraged to block these anti-democracy moves, and they would never have gotten off the table. But now that 
that provision of preclearance is done away with by the U.S. Supreme Court, we're seeing this growth of anti-democracy, anti-voting policies that are designed to make voting more of a restrictive, difficult thing to do instead of something that's open and available to everyone. And it shouldn't be lost on all of this. This is all happening while we're seeing the youngest generation of voters in our country quickly becoming the most diverse and progressive generation of our country's history. And so while we need to be doing everything we can to embrace that next generation of voters and their diversity and every new perspective they bring to the table, you see others trying to limit their access to their own power. And that's why, to me, what I'm most proud of in Michigan is that we lead the country in engaging those young voters and enabling them to participate because they will enable us to build a country and a state where climate change and public safety and safety from gun violence and quality education is at center stage and something that their leaders, our leaders are focused on. Well, what you also said, I mean, what's happening in Harris County is a direct response to voter engagement. And what's happening with trying to limit what uh, young voters can do is a direct response to voter engagement. You know, like if you take all the polling places off college campuses and you don't teach them what's going on and the people talking about raising the voting age to mm-hmm. 21 to 25, there's one proposal that says they should be 30 so they can have a little life experience first. And I think, good Lord. <laughs> Back to the same anti-democracy policies in the Jim Crow era. Right. The idea to take a literacy test or the idea to pay a poll tax. I mean, this is all just a regeneration of a lot of those draconian policies that we know uh, don't reflect what a democracy requires. And uh, and so what, what we have to recognize is the only reason we don't have those bad policies on the books anymore is because people organized in the 60s and elsewhere to pass a Voting Rights Act to ensure voting was more accessible to all. And that's our call to action today, that we have to pick up that torch. We have to carry that forward because with the rise of racism and anti-Semitism that continues to take hold in our country and across the globe uh, in the midst of climate change and every other problem and challenge we have to meet, It's upon all of us to say, we're not going back. We're going to continue to be and must be a country that embraces and reflects every value, every person, every voice. And that's how we'll actually become better as a nation if we can defeat these draconian forces that are once again trying to take us to an era where only white male landholders ultimately have uh, a voice and a say in their country or over our, our own bodily autonomy as women, which is, you know, all of it is connected to this sort of anti-democracy movement we find ourselves in yet again. Absolutely. And I think people need to remind themselves, like ask yourself, why would someone make it harder to vote? Why are they putting out all of these hoops for you to jump through? It's not to benefit you, the voter. It's to hold back certain voters. And even if you're not the voter group that's being held back, whenever your government starts making it harder to vote, that'll ultimately never serve you. Because what you're saying is the government no longer wants to hear the people's voices. They want to do things on their own with no one questioning them. Right now, they're stopping the people who are questioning them. But ultimately, it'll be you. Yeah, absolutely. No, they want they want to be able to, to invoke their own views on the country without accountability. And that ultimately is what the 2020 election really emulated as well. When you look at the will of the voters being abundantly clear through states like Michigan and elsewhere having some of the highest turnout in our country's history. And then this planned, very multifaceted, strategic effort to try to nullify those votes through allegations of fraud and and unsurprisingly targeting 
Detroit and Milwaukee and Atlanta and uh, Phoenix and Las Vegas and, you know, a majority of black cities across the country uh, as examples of wrongdoing where there was no evidence of that case. All of that and then culminating in our the tragedy at our U.S. Capitol on January 6th designed to intimidate Congress from accepting the electoral votes of the of the people of the country. So all of that should have should show us that if we are silent in moments like these, those forces will take over and will run over our voices and our votes and the voices and votes of every citizen of this country. But the story of these last few years is also if we stand up and we vote and we say not today, that we will strengthen our democracy, that we will sign up as poll workers, that we will push to enact policies to protect our fundamental rights and freedoms in our constitutions in the state at the state level. Then we can actually emerge from this challenging time with a better democracy than ever before. So we, it all depends on us. It all depends on what every one of us as individuals are going to do in this moment. Are we going to choose to protect and defend democracy or are we going to let it wither on the vine without doing anything to, to change it? I will choose every day to stand on that bridge in Selma, Alabama and defend our right to vote and defend our democracy. And if every citizen in our country does the same in moments like this, uh, then no one can succeed in undoing our democracy. Even, even Donald Trump. <laughs> See, everybody, that's the thing. We have to be out here defending what we're doing, right? The 24 election starts today. It starts yesterday. It's not something we can dial into next year. This is the primary focus, to hold on to our democracy and to protect our country and our voices. And we have to focus on people who are, are running this, who are the keepers of the gate, the, the secretaries of state. So what would you encourage um, our secretaries of state to be taking up the mantle of right now? Or what should we, the voters, be looking for if we have a secretary of state on the ballot in 2024? Well, I think, you know, protecting elections comes down to three things. Is the system going to work? Are we actually going to be able to get our ballots, return them on time, staff the system? Is it someone who's actually committed to that infrastructure of democracy? Two, is it someone who's going to educate voters about their rights and how to vote and proactively do that? Because it it's not enough to just have a system that's and a democracy that's open to all citizens need to be educated about how to access their rights and where to go to vote and how to get registered and all of that. And then third, are they speaking the truth and going to counter misinformation? Because it's now become a, a well-accepted political strategy to lie to voters about how to vote, where to vote, when to vote. And we see that increasing. It's why in Michigan, we're trying to pass a, a deceptive practices ban to um, criminalize anyone who intentionally lies to voters about their rights uh, as citizens. But all of that is what a secretary of state has the ability to do. Build a strong and secure election process, educate voters about it, and counter misinformation. And do so not with a political agenda. The, you can see uh, Democrats and Republicans all have an equal opportunity to be good at running democracy. But at the same time, you see examples on the other side of folks using their political agenda to uh, to not build a strong, healthy democracy, to not educate voters, to, to not counter misinformation. Uh, you look to Ohio right now where they're actually advocating to change how citizens are able to amend their constitution. Whereas in Michigan, we welcome citizens' involvement in the governing process. They're trying to make it more difficult or impossible for citizens to, through a ballot initiative, amend their constitution. 
But citizens can stop those types of anti-democracy efforts by getting involved, rejecting them. And what these last few years in response to the overturning of Roe have really underscored is just how powerful we all can be when we band together and say, you are not going to take away our fundamental rights and freedoms and our democracy on our watch. Hell yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what I work for every day. Yeah, you're such an important part of this work because we're also losing access to so many paths to getting information these days. And the vast majority of people in this country are on the side of wanting democracy and truth and the law to prevail. And that is what I will go into battle with every day of the week, right? We can we can take down all these forces who are rooted in anti-Semitism and racism and un-American beliefs that the will of the people shouldn't be respected and protected, and instead ensure that we're electing leaders all across the board in every state in this country who will respect the will of the people, who will stand for our fundamental rights and freedoms. But it only happens if we all band together to ensure that it does. Otherwise, the forces of a political arena that are far from, um, you know, focused on what's best for the people will take hold and uh, and diminish our voices as a result. Um, but not on our watch, right? And that's what women who've come before us fought for. That's what civil rights activists of the 60s fought for. So this is also our moment and our time to be those leaders that led us in the past and to actually push for policies and people and participation that reflects the the values of of uh, that we all hold dear. Yeah, we had Lafonza Butler, the president of Emily's List on the show a while back and she said I want you to know that you are at the right time doing the right thing. You know, like this is it. This is our moment and all of us have to gather together and play our part. And I think yeah. that that's essential, right? Um listen, Before you go, you mentioned anti-Semitism, and I just, can I take a quick detour from elections to ask a left field question, but one that I really would love your take on? Of course. Okay, so after college, you moved to Alabama, as you mentioned, to investigate undercover domestic terrorist cells that emerged after the Oklahoma City bombing. That work led you to the UK, where you went to Oxford and you studied international links on modern white supremacy and neo-Nazi movements. And experts in our country, including top law enforcement officials and the Department of Homeland Security, now tell us that our biggest domestic terror threat in America comes from white supremacy and white supremacists. So what should we be doing to counter this rise of racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists in our country, because they're the ones that are showing up on January 6th and, you know, storming our capital. Knowing what you know about this, what should we be keeping our eye out for or doing to counter this movement? I think it starts first with not underestimating its presence. Uh, it's, it struck me when you said it's a growing, and that is right. They've now said it's it's the, the biggest threat to domestic terrorism. It actually has been for a really long time. I mean, Charlottesville and a number of other things, Oklahoma City bombing, even Columbine was linked to white supremacist and neo-Nazi ideology in 1999. So it has been a, a latent force in our country, and we have not often recognized it in the same way that the gun violence epidemic enables us to sort of have this these moments every time there's something that occurs, and then we move on and forget about it without recognizing the public health crisis and an epidemic that we're in when it relates to gun violence. So all that says, I think the first thing we need to do is recognize the root of so much terrorism and so much discord is rooted in this latent white supremacist, neo-Nazi, anti-Semitism, 
ideology that that has plagued our country in different ways for a long time. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, use the forces we have of good to fight back against that type of hate wherever it emerges, recognizing it's all connected, whether it's affecting the trans community, whether it's affecting the Jewish community. Uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We have to live that mantra every day and see the connections between a bombing in a synagogue and gun violence at a at a church and all the different ways in which the, the effort to ban books in libraries and change how we teach history are all connected to this ideology that is growing and emerging in our country at a time when we're also becoming increasingly diverse, uh, more diverse than ever before. And so in my view, the opportunity that lies in front of all of us is to emerge into the next several decades as a democracy that is truly multiracial, multi-ethnic, and thriving. Truly, no country in the world has ever really done that successfully, and we have the opportunity to be that. So everything we've talked about, and even in this aspect, all relates to who are we going to be as people and as a country in this moment? And are we going to do our part to, to shoot down the hate, to call out the hate when we see it and and demand a response rooted in love and respect uh, and not support elected officials and leaders who are running on this agenda of hate and instead support those on either sides of the aisle who are running rooted in facts and respect and inclusion and, and push our leaders uh, for inclusive policies as opposed to exclusive ones and reject those who would even run for president bragging about the ways in which they're mean and hateful to people and communities in their state. If we can build an agenda and build a movement in support of inclusion, in support of building that multiracial, multiethnic democracy, then the ideology we see and that has always been latent in our country that is against all of that can be squelched. What gives me a lot of hope is the fact that history teaches us that hate doesn't win. Uh, the law teaches us that hate doesn't win. Uh, truth and the vast uh, majority of people in this country believe in, in inclusion and believe in the benefits of bringing every voice to the table. So we just have to harness all of those things and build a democracy that reflects those values. And that is what the next decade in this country will really call on all of us to do. So it's an incredible opportunity, but we have to see the connection of everything that we're enduring right now. Um, and that it's also ultimately going to come down to who are you going to be in this moment? Are you going to be someone who allows democracy to wither on the vine, who gets discouraged and disengaged by the hate that we're hearing and, and uh, seeing from politicians and others throughout our country? Or are you going to take that as a rallying cry to get engaged and to do something different and to push for leaders to do something different and to elect leaders or run for office yourself? to run on a basis of inclusivity and uh, collaboration and coming together and policies that reflect those values. If we choose that latter part, we can, that, that's our path to actually becoming a true multiracial, multiethnic democracy, which is really exciting. And to see that as what we're fighting for, as, as opposed to just focusing on what we're fighting against, but on all fronts to be engaged in that fight and, and build that world that Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy and Gandhi, so many people who come before us have fought for as well. Now's our time. Now's our chance to build that world and that democracy here in our country. And that is what you're seeing also happen in a very small part in Michigan right now, when citizens do say, 
we're not going to take this. We're going to push for a state that reflects our vision and values. And that's, if you pay attention to Michigan, exactly what we've tried to demonstrate over these last few years. Oh, that's exactly what you've done. And this seems like the perfect place to leave it. I want to thank you for joining us today, Jocelyn. I mean, Michigan is lucky to have you as their Secretary of State, but America is lucky to have you out here fighting for democracy. And I wish you nothing but success moving forward. Thank you. Onward we go. The work is never ending, but it's a joy to be a part of. So thanks for having me. And I look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you sometime soon. So that was Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson asking us who we're going to be at this moment in history. Are we going to be passive as our voices are silenced and our will is ignored? Or are we going to stand up and say, not today, through our attitude, our efforts, and yes, our vote? Jocelyn reminds us that democracy is a team sport. And while the secretaries of state might be the referees, we all need to play our part. And that includes making sure we have good refs. America is at a real crossroads. And though we're so close to losing it all, we're also so close to the working, pluralistic, multicultural democracy that no country in the world has ever been able to accomplish. I believe in us. Secretary Benson believes in us. Our president believes in us. We need to believe in us. And we need to do the work to fight back against those who would bring us down. I wanna thank Jocelyn for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.